die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become glorious. No, I won't give in. I won't give in till I'm victorious. And I will defend. I will defend. That's not true. That's impossible. Search your feelings. You know it to be true. What are you doing? Getting a life. Hello everyone and welcome to the One Up Culture Cast, your source of knowledge for levelling up in the world of popular culture. My name is Trent and with me is my co-host Jareth. Hey guys, so we're back. It's 2017, we're back and we're bringing you an episode on media tourism. Yay. Yeah, we should probably let them know what that is. Yeah, so <laughs> if you haven't heard what media tourism is, or you may have heard it under film tourism, because that's sort of the common uh, version of this, basically what media tourism is, is that you as an audience are going to a specific location because of its appearance uh, or location in, in a piece of media, whether it be movies, television, all that kind of thing. Uh, just to give you an example off the bat, which is probably the easiest one to work with, is the Hobbiton set in uh, New Zealand, which was the location for several things in Lord of the Rings. And now people go there, they literally specifically go to New Zealand or to this area of New Zealand so that they can visit these sets because they saw it in the movies and they have that kind of attachment connection to it. Yeah, this is that's actually one that I want to check out myself, uh, although I am 6'5", and I'm pretty sure I'm going to not fit. You're going to hit your head. I'm going to look like Gandalf in The Hobbit. Mm. But that's going to be pretty cool, actually. Uh, Gandalf's uh, cool, I'm isn't fine it? with that. Yeah. 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 Um, thou shalt now get into this house, apparently. Um, so that, That's the extent of my Lord of the Rings knowledge. Thou so. shalt not pass. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and the name Gandalf. You're aware of who that is? Yes. And that he goes from being grey to being white? Yes, he's Dumbledore. Pretty much. Mm. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Middle Earth's Dumbledore. That's all we need to talk about Lord of the Rings for this episode, I guess. Yeah, although you might hear Hobbiton come up again because it is such an integral part, I think, of media tourism. It's the most obvious one to sort of go to. And it's uh, it wasn't originally built to be a tourist attraction. Yeah. Um, and this is actually something you covered on in your article uh, earlier this week. Cheap plug. Uh, <laughs> if you want to read more on media tourism, I've put up an article which came out on Monday. Uh, check out the WordPress page for all of that information. Yeah, it's a and really good you. intro into this uh, podcast, actually, which is kind of why we've released them the same week. <laughs> oh, why thank you. Why thank you. Uh, but as you mentioned, it actually wasn't a, a permanent fixture until mm. 2002 when they yes, made Yes, the... when they rebuilt it for the Hobbit trilogy. Yeah, which is cool. Mm. And now people go to a, a country full of tourist attractions to take pictures on a movie set. Yeah, so, it, uh, it's become so popular, it's pretty much being listed the number one media tourism destination. And obviously, like Lord of the Rings, there's a lot more to it than just Hobbiton. Uh, they filmed in a lot of different places there but that's kind of the one that has really grown because it is a set that has been built as, as you kind of mentioned it wasn't permanent it was meant to come apart the they actually were delayed in pulling it apart and it's during that the delay that they realized that there's actually a market here for people to come and visit and get their hobbit on there's kind of two types of media tourism so i think we'll, we'll kind of define those at the start mm. we've got things like hobbiton which are specific things in a specific place for media tourism. Yes. So, like, that wasn't there. That wasn't a thing mm. until The Hobbit. Um, you've also got things which are just general places, uh, usually public. Um, Ikebuka Crossing is... Uh, we'll, we'll be talking about that one a little yeah. bit later on, um, which are already existent, not really specified to that product, but because it's shot there or it's filmed there, people still go there to be like, oh, this is where that happened. Yeah. Uh, some of these uh, in blockbuster films are just simple locations that you see and you're like, oh, that's that's fairly cool. That's cool. Um, there's things like Alnwick Castle, yep. um, which that existed before the Harry Potter series. Quite a while before. <laughs> Shockingly. Uh, and that's the, the castle, the exterior uh, yeah, of, the, of the Hogwarts castle. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, people go and they take pictures in front of that castle. The, this is the Hogwarts castle behind me. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, people were taking pictures in front of that castle before that. They just didn't have that meaning behind them which is kind of where the media tourism comes in the, these places now have a meaning for tourists mm. to go there to be hey this is where this person was at this time or my character did this here in a, in a certain situation so yeah and that's sort of you talk about there's two types of media tourism there's also sort of different levels of media tourism as well um, a lot of people go to these destinations because it's cool they can sort of take photos they can stage shots that like a similar sort of angle or something they saw in the movie they can go back home to their friends or in this day and age just post up on Facebook and go lol look at me outside of you know Hogwarts or something and that's cute and that's 
that's fun and everyone kind of gets a good kick out of it. The other one is, and I guess this is where the term media pilgrimage comes in, uh, it becomes a bit more of a sort of inner emotional aspect. Now, obviously, some of these locations can be both or none um, to a person depending on their level of influence with something. So, obviously, Armwood Castle for something like Hogwarts and Harry Potter, um, someone might go to and go, oh, that was in that Harry Potter movie. That's cool. They like the movies or whatever. And then you also get someone who's grown up with the books. They're you know, invested deeply in the franchise. They relate to these characters. And when they go to Armwood Castle, after all these years of sort of almost imagining themselves involved with the movie to actually stand on the, the ground that Harry, Ron and Hermione stood on, it can be quite a meaningful experience and does more than just a, a cool, little, cool little photo opportunity. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And uh, actually, the pilgrimage, uh, it really kind of fits into the media tourism site that you and I visited uh, yeah. in our home state of Tasmania here in Australia, um, which is the Ross Bakery. Uh, which is said to be the inspiration for uh, Miyazaki's 1989 uh, Kiki's Delivery Service. Yeah, so if you don't know what that is, um, hire it out, watch it. It's a, it's a good, fun movie. Um, basically, uh, what it talks about is you've got this 13-year-old girl called Kiki, and she's a witch. And part of the tradition for witches in that sort of world that they've built up is that when you turn 13, you travel uh, somewhere and basically spend a year doing witchy things and learning to the do world, things yeah learning about the world work, yeah. and do your own thing and so the story is basically centered around kiki's journey there which takes her to the ross baker <laughs> takes her to the ross bakery takes it to the bakery in the movie which is believed to have been inspired by the ross bakery and uh I mean, there are definitely some similarities when you're inside mm. the bakery. Uh, from the outside, no. No. And <laughs> that, again, like looking at some of these media tourism locations, uh, the thing that always seems to stand out, and obviously this comes down to a lot of it is film-based, is that it is the visual connection that you get straight away. And so going to Ross Bakery and sort of looking at the outside and going, is this it? Is this the bakery? Um, because it doesn't look anything like it. No, it looks quite modern. Uh, mm. And I mean, that's the thing in the the uh, Kiki's Delivery Service, it's a traditional kind of bakery, uh, which you do get more of that feeling when you go inside. I mean, they've got the big oven, um, which they let people take pictures next to when they're not busy, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then you can see the similarities uh, between the, that oven. And, and there's they have a room called Kiki's Room, <laughs> which you also see quite a lot of uh, a very large similarity there. Um, so, I mean, I, I do get the connection once you're inside, the, the bakery but it would be very easy to, to miss that on the way um, as you're entering there is a sign at the front saying this may be the inspiration for yeah. Kiki's delivery service and, and that's something that I do like about the Ross Bakery and how they've handled this uh, influx of media tourism they, they embraced it yeah they, really they, they embrace it but they also haven't done so with the arrogance of claiming that it definitely is yeah. because that's the thing it is a rumour um, I don't know how it has spread specifically but it is a rumour it hasn't been confirmed necessarily and Ross like Ross Bakery didn't start the rumour by sort of pushing it out it was they noticed the influx of uh, I guess uh, foreign tourists coming in writing in the guest book about Kiki or whatever uh, and referencing it and they sort of realised that okay, yes, there's potential from a financial standpoint to make money being the Kiki Bakery, but they also recognise the importance that this location held to these people because of its connection to the anime, um, which I find, obviously, Kiki isn't something that I am that attached to that I had that kind of emotional connection to the bakery getting there, but I'm glad that they're willing to encourage that for the fans who are. Yeah, definitely. And what you just said there was uh, the, the pilgrimage. We have people that are travelling here mm. from other parts of Australia, uh, usually uh, for Asians, people from Japan, China, yeah. Hong Kong. And we, got, we had people at Thailand. We had people from all of these nations uh, that I, I read while I was mm. going through that guest book that had come and, and signed things here. And yeah, it was. It was a pilgrimage to kind of feel a little bit closer to home, I guess, in a foreign yeah. place. Which really suits the uh, theme of, of the movie, yeah. which is Kiki's somewhere unusual, something different, trying to further her life, trying to improve. But she's away from her family, her friends, she's lost, she's trying to find herself. Uh, and yeah, she, in the end, uh, if those that haven't seen the movie, I'm sorry, I'm going to spoil something here, but she loses her powers and she gets her powers back when she kind of finds her place in the world. Mm. Not going to ruin anything with that. Uh, just wanted, that's why I didn't say spoiler warning. Uh, but uh, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like a lot of the, the comments in that book were re really related, not just to the, hey, this is somewhere I recognize, you know, that is kind of similar, but also specifically to that piece of media and uh, the, the lessons that it taught really actually worked well with the, with the media uh, pilgrimage 
yeah. concepts. It's fascinating to read through these guestbook comments because I, the typical guestbook that you kind of come across in these kind of places, just like, oh, hi, we came here, we tried this, how wonderful. And you definitely get that with uh, oh, the yeah, Lost and Paper about as well. 40% of all of the comments are, this scallop pie was amazing mm. and I really loved your vanilla slice. Yeah, if, if you do go to Ross Bakery, whether for a media pilgrimage or because you want to go to Ross Bakery, um, because it is between Launceston and Hobart, it's yeah. quite handy. Um, yeah, apparently try the scallop pies and vanilla slices. Guess who didn't try that while they were there? Either of us. Yeah, we just got meat pies and stuff, which were good. Yeah, yeah, I think I got an egg and bacon pie, I think. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. The food was excellent, which isn't really the point of the podcast, but we will give them a shout out. The service was good. The food was good. The whole atmosphere was, yeah. was fantastic. Uh, so I really didn't have any complaints from that from that no. trip that we had. No. But we did. That was the other thing, actually. You saw the movie before we went there. Yeah, so that you was, were able to recognize a few more of those things. This is an interesting point because we went there. We, we kind of planned to, in preparation for this particular podcast, was we would watch the movie, go there, and sort of do our own part of media tourism. But unfortunately, you weren't able to watch it in time. So... I came at it from a pre-watch and you sort of come at it from a post-watch, I guess. Yeah, which means I think we were looking at things that you were looking at things that were that were similar. Mm. Whereas I was trying to, uh, this was my first image of this bakery. So I was trying to draw as much in and try and memorize kind of the layout and uh, some of these, the, the looks of the, of the oven and of the room, which you had actually told me were quite similar to mm. in the movie. And uh, so then, and then I watched the movie and uh, so yeah probably a completely not probably a definitely a different uh, way of coming at that than most people mm. who, who have done that but uh, it actually still worked I, I still got just as much out of the experience I when I was watching the movie I was like oh right I, I get it more why people go to yeah. go there it's not just kind of I'm gonna be honest at first I actually kind of thought it's a, like a media tourism place in Tasmania like down the bottom end of the world like it's Probably just a touristy thing because of how far away from every other kind of thing it would be. Mm. Um, no, it actually just suits the media pilgrimage, the whole media tourism um, works. And it, th this is my thing. We don't know. Yeah. We don't even know if this is the, the bakery. Everything says inspired, may have inspired Miyazaki's 1989 film. Uh, so this is literally a media tourism on a spot that may or may not actually be important at all but what i like about it is it's even if it wasn't the place that inspired miyazaki or maybe miyazaki just thought i want to do a baker in this movie mm. cool whatever what i like is it has become that place of an emotional it connection. does have so that meaning even if people. it wasn't that connection point even if miyazaki was inspired by this place it's still serving its purpose and it's giving these people who maybe as we've sort of mentioned are living down here on exchange or as a work holiday kind of thing maybe feeling a bit lonely and they need that inspiration this pilgrimage is serving to inspire them and remind them of Kiki's journey and remind them that they can go on this journey and, you know, take it. Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's kind of a little bit of Japan down in Tasmania, mm. even though it's not. It's not Japanese yeah. style. It's not Japanese food. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's, it's really, really nice and, and, and dynamic. And they're pouring their hearts out in this guest book. And that's the thing, like, as I was saying, most guest books are fairly generic and ordinary. This feels like a communal journal. Oh, yeah, and... Well, we just noticed when we were looking at them, when we were there, there were two guest books. Mm. Uh, one that was completely full and one that was uh, partially away. You know, we actually both uh, wrote in that one as yeah. well. Uh, find us. Find us in there. Uh, but we had a look at like the very beginning of the other one and see how far back that went. And it only went back to uh, 2015, mm. about halfway through 2015. And we actually made this trip like early this year. Yeah. So. Yeah, about every year and a half, they're filling yeah, a book. And it's been going for quite a while. It sure and has. We know this because uh, we've got, we don't have access to, but one of uh, one of my lecturers actually uh, at University of Tasmania, Craig Norris, has written a paper on this sort of phenomenon about media tourism with specifics to the Ross Bakery. Uh, and he was taught, like, the uh, material that he gathered from the, the books uh, date back probably nearly 10 years mm. um, and some of the material that he sort of had to work with in examining this phenomenon so uh, this has been going on for a long time um, obviously it picked up a bit of steam got a bit of attention in the last couple of years there's been a couple of uh, articles and sort of online pieces on it there was even a Japanese television show um, I don't know what they were saying because they were speaking Japanese and I don't but they sort of covered the uh, Ross Bakery and kind of like a little travel program and the, the uh, guests the, the people who were running the show were dressed up as Kiki and the cat yeah. and sort of going around which was kind of cool as well but I mean this is a long term media tourism destination it's only sort of picked up steam and in spite of it being a potential inspiration has been quite an important place and location. Yeah, and, and it's also pretty important to mention what Ross is. Mm. Uh, so Ross is a very small place. Yes. It's 
one road, pretty much. There's one uh, main road. You kind of come off of the highway, one main road, which is where the bakery is. It's not a big place. No. You don't have a very large population at all. It is a little village. I mean, this is a village bakery we're talking about. So to see just the sheer numbers of people that have gone through there um, and have specifically gone for that purpose, they've mm-hmm. gone to that um, is is just astronomical. You, you want to talk specifics. Um, and again, I'm referencing Craig Norris's uh, article, which I'm going to provide a link to in the descriptions. If you want a, even more reading and want to read from someone who knows what they're talking about, unlike us, he talks about this one particular piece in the guest book where they were sort of talking about they had a bit of time left in Australia and they had two choices uh, to where to visit. They could visit Uluru or they could visit the Ross Bakery. Guess which one they picked? Uluru? Yes, they sent that uh, email uh, to the Ross Bakery and said, oh, we thought about going there, but no. But we didn't. <laughs> but yeah, like these people, obviously you've got Uluru, which is one of the iconic places in Australia, like next to the probably Sydney Harbour Bridge in as far as like world world-renowned sort of places to visit. And I think they were in Queensland at the time. So they literally went from one part of the country to another just to visit this bakery because of its connection to Kiki. And in the guest book, they didn't regret it. Like, they were happy they made that trek. So it's that's phenomenal. That is phenomenal. And also, also it brings me to another point that I've been wanting, wanting to bring out, just a little bit of an interesting thing for our viewers, the listeners, that media tourism sites are often actual tourism sites. Mm. So probably doesn't make a lot of sense. But things like the Eiffel Tower... That's a tourism site. It's, yeah. But people still go there for the express purpose of taking pictures or, or whatever, reenacting certain scenes from movies mm. and whatnot. So a media tourism site doesn't necessarily have to be only about that. Yeah. Uh, it, it is literally just anything that is shown that has meaning and, mm. and has a reason for people to go there. If it gives you a reason other than, hey, that's iconic... It's probably you know media tourism mm. in some uh, form if you've seen it somewhere. Um, so you know not all of these are, uh, are things that you immediately think of as media tourism. Yeah, but it is important to consider because you look at the Eiffel Tower, you might think, oh yes, that's a fascinating building, uh, but you might be drawing memories of movies and stuff that you've seen that's sort of been based around that Eiffel Tower. You might want to do the tour around the uh, Statue of Liberty mm. and yell, "You monsters, you blew it all up!" Uh, you know, <laughs> it's from a movie. It's relevant. The Statue of Liberty is its own iconic uh, American symbol. I know what I'm doing if I ever make it to New York. I've already thought of that one. That's why it was so quick to my mind, yeah. So to change things up from people from Asia coming to little old Tasmania to check out some media tourism, how about we switch it up? Go from a little old boy from Tassie, maybe you, and the time you went to Asia. Right, that's a smooth segue, right? Yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah. it wasn't like half planned or anything. (laughs) Awkward. You've been holding on to that for about 10 minutes, haven't you? Yeah, about 10 minutes or so, yeah. Yeah. Waiting for you to shut up so I could go on to this. Yeah, that never happens though. So, I mean, I've been lucky enough to uh, travel around a little bit in Asia. I've been to a couple of different countries and as someone like me who consumes a lot of media, more media than he probably should, um, there are certain places... You consume just the right amount of media, sir. Ten, 10 hours a day is uh, just nice. Nice. Uh, I'd be gone for 11. 11? Yeah. I've got to pick up my game then. I'm cutting this from the podcast too. People don't want to listen to this. Well, they might, but... So, you were in Asia. Yes, I was. Um, I've been to a couple of places, as I said, and there's a few places that I've been to which have kind of connections to media that I've consumed. And from that media, I specifically went to a few places because of those places. Because of those movies, not because of those places. Because which, of those places in those movies. Yeah, which is, by definition, the definition of media tourism. To go somewhere because yeah. of uh, the seeing it somewhere. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. We've uh, nailed that one. So is there any particular one you wanted to start with? Yes, I wanted to start with Sleeping Dogs. So uh, That's I, a I, game, by the way. I've it's got not actual I'm literal just... dogs that are asleep. We have no dogs. No. You've got a cat. Not your cat, but well, it's your housemate's there's, cat. There's a cat in yeah. my house. Yes. But this isn't about sleeping cats. This is really not about sleeping dogs. Um, so <laughs> it's about gaming, guys. Uh, so Sleeping Dogs is a free roam game, uh, which is set in Hong Kong. Mm. Yeah, and it's basically GTA circa Hong Kong crime. Yeah, triads. that's pretty much exactly yeah. what it is. Uh, and so I became a triad to really get an idea of how the game goes. And it's realistically, I can kill a lot of people with a machete. That's I true, was wondering like why you've got that tattoo on your back. Yeah, yeah. Well, that um, hurt, by the way. Really? Yeah, I'm a wuss. That's yeah. why I do the killing and not the getting killed. Ah, right. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But more importantly, there was also several locations I went to um, with the express purpose. Well, not the express purpose. As you kind of mentioned, uh, media tourism is like 
actual locations that you also saw in media. But I was curious to see because of the locations that I had visited in Sleeping Dogs as a character. Yeah. Uh, so one of those was out on the uh, the peak. Yeah. Yes. So you, uh, I was actually playing Sleeping Dogs while you were in Hong Kong, and you actually said at this certain time be there and I will also be there in the real real life uh, location so that, that was pretty cool and I think you said something about the height that was actually kind of surprising yeah look with the peak uh, like you watch you play the game and you sort of get an idea for it and you're sort of up there and you're looking out over the Hong Kong island um, and it, it looks pretty cool like I'm not sure what your impressions were playing the game I definitely but it, love that in the game yeah thought, it looks yeah, pretty nice pretty cool um, obviously the games work with certain restrictions but it's far higher up in real life. Like you get up to the the peak and you're sort of looking at it and going, oh yeah, this is a literal mountain, not a hill. Like it kind of felt like in the game. And that's what surprised me actually mm. when you got there and you were like, oh no, it's actually higher than that. And I was like, wait, so in real life it's like more dangerous? Like yeah. this is a game. Why wouldn't you make it as visually spectacular as possible if the real view more, is that more good? More dangerous from a height perspective, but just in general as well. Because one of the things that's disappointing about the Sleeping Dogs video game is that area is enclosed. It's like a cage basically mm. you've got these giant sort of walls and stuff up you can see through obviously they're big sort of big metal beams and playing the game i kind of thought oh it kind of makes sense they're, they're maybe protecting people yeah. like i've been uh onto taipei 101 i think that's what it's called but like when you go out onto the viewing platform outside like there's massive metal beams to stop people from jumping and i kind of got the impression with the peak it was going to be the same thing yeah but you get up there and it's not like that at all mm. uh, the building's quite different but like the actual viewing platforms like yeah you've got a lot more freedom and you're not having that obscured view so it's kind of crazy that the video game didn't take full advantage of it being a fictional world but I guess being a free roam game, they can't trust people to just stay on the peak. They yeah, want to I drive mean, their car off and see how far down the mountain they go. Which, yeah, that'd be me. Which is what everyone does in GTA, for example. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I'm a big free roam gaming guy and uh, you see a lot of that kind of stuff because, I mean, free roam games, they involve a city. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of those times, that's a real place. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, I've got a, a bunch of those, uh, of those. I mean, at the moment, I've just started playing Infamous 2 again, which is set in Seattle. And in one of the very first missions, you actually go to the Sky Needle. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, there's that. Uh, things like GTA are less accurate to the real places. They, they try and take inspiration and, and kind of designs of buildings. and They give themselves the freedom of a fictional location yeah. so they can do what they want. But they take, you can see where they've been inspired by certain cities. Um, and, and I did actually, there's a, a long stretch of road. I can't for the life of me remember where it is. Uh, but the second I saw it, there's like four shops along it. It's next to uh, some water. And the second I saw it, I was like, oh, wow, that is the big long drive from GTA V. Mm. Uh, I instantly recognized it because it is that, it is that similar. Uh, so there are a lot of those in GTA. But more so I find in other games, uh, such as, yeah, like I said, Infamous, yeah. um, you, you've got that that kind of watchdogs was the very first one was Chicago. Uh, set in Chicago. Second one, San Francisco. Uh, San Francisco, it? which I haven't actually played the second one. Um, I actually enjoyed the first one. Uh, mm. I think the second one, it, I just enjoy the concept could be done better, but whatever. <laughs> this isn't about that. Um, <laughs> But I think I will give the San Francisco one a go, uh, and I'd really like to see mainly the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. Uh, I want to see how they. How they but I've heard it. like um, I was watching Smosh Games, and they were playing Watch Dogs too, and one of the people there who's lived in uh, San Fran yeah. was commenting on how like she recognised not necessarily specific places, but I guess the vibe of a lot of things and how things looked, and it was clear they'd put a lot of time into capturing that. And it's definitely the same with Sleeping Dogs. Now, obviously, they've taken a lot of liberties into the placement of things. Like, they literally... Hong Kong, you go to Hong Kong, it's Kowloon, which is sort of the peninsula, and Hong Kong Island, two massive areas. With Sleeping Dogs, they just cut off Kowloon. Yeah. But you can see where they've still wanted to include Kowloon. So the starting area, which I believe is North Point in the Sleeping Dogs game, you can tell is based on Mong Kok, just from uh, sort of the, the location of it all. Like, it feels the street markers. is actually called Temple Street, which is in Mong Kok. Um, it's a specific sort of uh, night market. It's not in North Point, but you play the game, that's where it is. And just the design of the places... In that area, you can tell it's inspired from the Kowloon side of things. And as you adventure to Aberdeen or Central, you can see where the architecture has been changed and designed to suit the feel of a particular area that Sleeping Dogs is trying to cover. So not only are they covering specific areas like the peak or the mid-level escalators, which was another place I sort of went to and was sort of uh, connecting based off what I saw with the game, but you can see where they're trying to get the vibe of a place. So if you go to Hong Kong and have played Sleeping Dogs or you have... Uh, been to Hong Kong and then play Sleeping Dogs 
hopefully I haven't mixed them around. Um, you can feel, you can sort of get the vibe of the place and recognize, ah, this feels like this area of Hong Kong. I'm walking along this kind of street with all these vendors or just cars and stuff as well. Yeah, well, as we said earlier, uh, media tourism goes both ways. Mm. Uh, we actually accidentally displayed that perfectly with the Ross Bakery. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't really matter if you travel somewhere and then, let's say, Sleeping Dogs, mm. and then you play the game you're going to get something out of it that way around. You're going to be like, oh, I actually saw that place in real life. It works the other way around. You can play the game first, then go there and be like, oh, I played a game where I was in this place. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, media tourism goes both ways. It doesn't really matter which way, but uh, yeah, same effect. Same effect in the end. Um, And just another place I went to in Hong Kong, which is a little bit interesting because obviously the peak and the mid-level escalators, they are tourism locations, like we talked about the Eiffel Tower. Literally while I was going up the mid-level escalators, I found a little bar which is nondescript. You wouldn't oh. really, you wouldn't really think twice of it going past it. But when I was going up the escalators, I looked down and sort of something rang in my head, and I that looks familiar. And there's a Korean variety show called Running Man, which I absolutely love. I'm addicted to it. I watch it as much as I can. And they actually did a series in Hong Kong. It's finishing. No, no, it's coming back. Yay! Yeah, it's uh, they've actually re-signed with the original six. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. Oh, thank goodness. I only just found that out, so I'm really, really quite relieved. Yeah. Anyways, they did a couple episodes in Hong Kong. They went there to do one of the shows. And they actually go up the mid-level escalators, and during the mission, uh, they have to go into this bar. And it was a cool little bar. They sort of did a mission in there and whatnot. And I was going up the mid-levels, and I just looked, and I'm like, hang on. I think that's the Running Man bar, which obviously that's not what it's called. It's called the Peak Bar, um, and it's got a black sort of veranda shade thing with pink writing on it, which is how I recognise it. Uh, sort of, I went up the middle of escalators because there's like 20 minutes of escalators to get up the whole thing, but I made a specific point to go back to that bar for no other reason than because Running Man was there, and it was really cool for me because that's like. Sleeping Dogs, I enjoy the game. I'm not emotionally invested in it necessarily. Running Man, I've watched so many hours of it. I am quite, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah, you connect to the characters and to yeah. all of the, the, the cast. Yeah, it's, it's quite a variety, cool, show, so. uh, variety yeah. show for me. And so actually stopping there and having a drink and just relaxing and just sort of taking it all in and going, oh, this is where Haha was and this is where yeah. John Cook was and all that. Uh, it seemed like, and this is what I'm talking about with media tourism that a lot of people, outsiders might not get. That bar, like, what's a big deal why would you care about that place but for me who's invested in that material it has it has an emotional connection same thing you go to Ross Bakery if you're just going now in between Launceston and Hobart or vice versa and you're stopping for a break you go to the bakery oh yeah it's pretty cool why are all these tourists here I don't know maybe it just gets a good rating on TripAdvisor but for those people who are connected to Kiki's Bakery there isn't a real emotional connection there which you're only going to appreciate as a fan of that material yeah, I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. It's about mm. the emotional connection. Mm. Uh, I mean, when you watch that episode on Running Man now, you'll be watching, you'll be like, I was, th- I was there. Yeah. I was sitting, like, right there. Um, so that's going to have a, a little bit more, you know, I mean more to you. I've watched that yeah. episode a couple of times since, and so, ah, there we go. Yeah, definitely. So I, mean, yeah. I, I feel like that's kind of the point mm. of uh, going to these places and, and doing this stuff is mm. to, you know, gain that extra kind of appreciation but especially when it is a niche property like a running man or a kiki's delivery service i mean kiki's obviously one of the better known miyazaki anime films but it's still an anime film so it doesn't necessarily have the same scope of knowledge as like a titanic does in western culture um so for these tourists going in it is a bit more personal because it is something that not everyone consumes yeah you know, I mean, not everyone it, will yeah, recognize that it point. means something different mm. to you And speaking of those kind of emotional connections that you get from media tourism, I think the other big one that I've experienced, which I think is worth mentioning, is uh, Lost in Translation, which is a Sofia uh, Coppola film starring Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson. Now, if you haven't heard of this movie, basically it's about two Westerners getting lost in Japan. Obviously, they use certain locations. Um, The Shibuya Crossing is a big one. Uh, The Grand, I think it's called the Grand Hyatt Hotel. Uh, but the hotel that they use there is quite is a bit of a media tourism destination as well. People go up to the bar in that hotel to sort of replicate. Yeah, they, they, yeah. they buy the same drink that Bill Murray will get and sort of enjoy it that way. But what I think Lost in Translation does really well as in the concept of media tourism is capturing the feel of that kind of tourism. And much like Kiki kind of covers how people might feel being lost and trying to find themselves going away lost in translation as you the name might suggest does that brilliantly well it's kind of the opposite of kiki for uh, you know the eastern audience mm. coming to a western country feeling lost 
kind of the opposite of that. It's the yeah. Westerners going to an Eastern country and being lost in translation. Yeah, and you, you go to a place like Japan, and as someone who is six foot five, white, uh, I stand out a lot anywhere, but especially in Japan. Um, and you watch the Lost in Translation film and it's beautifully shot and it really captures that feeling of someone like, say, Scarlett Johansson, who is blonde-haired and white, really stands out against both the cultural side of things they show but also the busy city of the Shibuya Crossing where everyone's sort of Japanese except for her. And having been to Japan, and this was the first time I'd ever travelled overseas, I really make that connection with her character and although I was over with a group at the time there were times when I'd go walking on my own and you literally feel like you're the only white person in the world when yeah. you go to those places and you look up and the LED and neon signs all in written in different languages and you're trying to make sense of where you are and what's going on and you can't make sense of it and it is a very overwhelming experience although I loved it and that movie captures that so brilliantly yeah, no. um, whether it's just walking around the streets or activities you do one of the famous parts of Lost in Translation is the karaoke scene and so people won't necessarily go to the same karaoke place that they went to in the movie but they participate in these activities because that's what they saw in the movie and they're making their connections that way yeah I'm um, just randomly I had this with Yakuza as well the game um, as we've already gone yeah not with the actual Yakuza so you're Yakuza I'm, I'm Triad yeah you're Triad I'm yeah. Yakuza right which is weird, because you're the one with apparently a full back tat, but we'll get onto that later. Well, um, you do have a tat. I, yeah, this is true, actually, out of the two of us, uh, because I'm cool, I have a Joker tattoo, because, you know... Nothing I'm, says cool like comic no, books. Nothing says cool like comic books. <clears throat> um, but Says uh, the guys running a podcast on this kind of thing. So I Yaku's a game. I, um, that was a game. And uh, no, I had the yeah, very similar thing. Uh, wherein, yeah, they, had, they actually used specific karaoke clubs uh, wherein I want to go just mm. to reenact those. But uh, I mean, they actually have uh, there's a specific club in Yakuza that I can't remember the name of for the life of me but you go in and uh, the second balcony it has uh, like neon lights all around the outside um, I didn't realise this was a media tourism place I just thought they'd made this place up uh, and until I, I found it I, I found it I was like what it looks exactly like in the game this is ridiculous um, so I, I just remembered this one the kind of surprise media tourism where you find out that somewhere is a real place that yeah. you didn't realise because with a lot of these things, especially in games and in anime, they don't necessarily have to be a real mm. place. Uh, and, and that's kind of something that makes media tourism really interesting when it pops up in those kind of things. Uh, for example, in Kuroko, wherein there's a real tra train yeah, station. Yeah, station, station. They have these little sort of plant owls uh, sort of carved out of tree kind Which of things. very recognisable. Yeah, and that's the thing. I was watching the anime, and this is like the... I'd watched it after going, and I was watching it again. And I literally had to stop and go... Eddie House. Yeah, the, the green house. house. Like, yeah, um, which is something that didn't need to be put in there. Yeah. Uh, it, you, know, you, you could just have a completely made up world. Mm. Um, and these guys were apparently playing basketball around like Tokyo and they were in Japan, but you didn't really have to show these locations. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I find that kind of interesting when they just sneak them in there mm. for no reason. Yeah. Like, there, was, there was really no reason to do that apart from it's a real place mm, let's um, make that and connection. while writing it or mm. while drawing it he yeah went yeah. to the real place so I, I think that's pretty cool and you sort of speak of Yakuza being that, that particular place being quite accurate yeah um, just another game which I literally just thought of again um, which is incredibly accurate it's a weird little game called uh, Akiba's Strip or Akiba's Trip it's kind of written in a way that it looks like it could be pronounced either way okay. it's, a, it's a weird game but it's set in Akihabara Oh, right. And it's not just set in Akihabara. The developers have gone consciously to make it look as close to the real thing as possible. And you're sort of work, walking around the game world and you literally go, I know exactly where I am because of this place here. And you go through the, the train station section, you go to the other part and you recognise the, the streets and stuff. They even have like maid cafes set up. The signage, you don't go actually go in, but they have like signage for the maid cafe in the right areas to where there are maid cafes. It's incredible to go through having been there and just going, this is exactly how Akihabara looks. So maybe the next step of gaming is going to be when Google Maps kind of join in with, uh, with the gaming community and uh, we get actual real-life signage yeah. of these places within you. It's, Virtual it's reality gaming. But you literally can mm. just like, you know what, I feel like walking around New York today and you jump over there and walk around and you see legitimately what New York looks like yeah. from the street level. Um, Probably in 20, 30 years, that's going to be a thing. Yeah, I mean, it, that 
saying it now doesn't sound ridiculous. Mm. So it's definitely a possibility yeah. for sure. Um, actually, speaking of New York, that was that was another one that we that I keep remembering these things popping up. Um, the Sex in the City tours, mm. which isn't something I want to do. No, it's not something either of us are particularly on board with. But my mum is, um, and she loves New York, and she also loves Sex in the City, the the TV show, not the action. Actual, well, she might, I don't but I'm not to, gonna ask. Can we not? Let's not <laughs> contemplate what your mum did while she was in New York. But well, one of the things she did do, yes, while she was in New York, is go on me the this wonderful and, thing of Times Square. <laughs> but she went on the <laughs> Sex in the City tour, and it's a little sort of bus tour that takes you to locations that are famous in the show. Yeah, I um, actually I did see. I've never been on it, but I did see uh, once uh, what it entails. So mm. it actually entails that you stop off at a specific shoe store, and you go in there, and and most of it is a shopping trip. Yeah. Um. There, it also includes. There's a uh, a carriage ride um, through I think Central Park, uh, which is there's what carriage rides. What from Jareth? I have no idea. Um, he, there he are. He's a Samantha. Seven three four. Um. So, <laughs> um. I mean, you can get the the tours around in those uh, carts like mm. all of the time, yeah. but it's just uh, uh, included in that tour. Um. And yeah, they ride around Central mm. Park. They talk about things, and I'm pretty sure at one point they pointed out where Mr. Big lived, which was. A guy in You're the show. revealing your fandom for this show just more over and over. I'm pretty sure he makes chairs and saves babies. That's all I know. I'm pretty sure he's a doctor of some kind. That's literally the extent of my knowledge. Let us know if you're a fan of Sex in the City. Tell us how horribly we're butchering the Yeah, please story. tell me if I'm so off to, off the, the count on that one. I may be really wrong. But, but, this, but I'm not, because it's me. But this is this shows that media tourism <laughs> isn't just for the super geeky. Like, no, no, yeah. Another thing that I know is quite popular is a lot of British television shows like Downton Abbey or something will be set in these real world locations and you go on trips to go visit them as well. Yeah, I mean, Game of Thrones um, mm. has become quite a quite a popular destination. Yeah, like for Northern some of Ireland, shots. Iceland and uh, Malta are both are very popular locations because of what you see. Game of Thrones it encompasses quite a few different sort of visual locations and you can go on these places and sort of see them i mean we're not trying to say game of thrones isn't geeky or dorky but you know it's mainstream so it's less geeky dorky than game oh not so much gaming but anime it is. Well, well basically it's uh it's the geeky stuff for mainstream people yeah. it's how you get into fantasy without getting into fantasy and laughing and stuff yeah it, it's it's cool fantasy because of violence and beheadings and boobs and rape and incest and genitalia yay by the way I've actually not seen Game of Thrones so, I have yeah. all those things are accurate um, <laughs> I guess to sort of start bringing this particular podcast episode yeah, to a really close should. we have covered a few different places that you can go to um, I guess what we want to do is maybe mention a couple of places in particular that we yeah. specifically obviously you've mentioned the Yakuza karaoke place I'm sure it's got a different name yeah Probably not that. <laughs> um, I also mentioned that I, I want to go to New York and yell at that statue. Cause yeah, that is, and go on the Sex and the City tour. That'd be great. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, there's a few things around um, America that I want to do, but uh, most of mine are in Asia as well, yeah. actually. Um, and, and they're the ones we said. But also, and, and I don't understand, and I feel like it should be the first one, uh, if we're going to... Hobbiton. I, mm. I need... It's just over... There, like I could, I feel like I could throw a rock to New Zealand sometimes. I can't, I'm not that strong. Um, but it would be so much fun to go yeah. there, uh, and so recognizable. Like, the second someone sees a picture, they're gonna be like, All oh, right, you're at the, the mm. Hobbit set. Whereas, uh, with a few of these other ones, no one's gonna get it unless they've seen it or yeah. they happen to know why that's important to you. But um, everyone knows Hobbiton, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. if you want Facebook likes. <laughs> There's the media tourism place that's to go. That's the place to go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that and, and Oldwick Castle, yeah. which... Uh, but you, mean, you are quite a big fan of Lord of the Rings, so you would have that sort of more personal connection as well, potentially? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I enjoyed it, but uh, I enjoyed Harry Potter more. Yeah. Um, but of those two media tourism places, I would rather go to the uh, the Hobbiton because yeah. I feel I, of those two, it's the better media tourism place. Yeah. Uh, but personally... Hogwarts was, was yeah. far more uh, shaping in my life. Um, I mean, I read the books when I was a kid and watched the movies when I was a little bit older. It's literally been there for so long of my life. If you uh, need to check his fandom, just listen to our Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them podcast and you'll see how big a fan he actually is. Yeah, I'm a pretty, pretty big fan. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the other places actually in England for the sort of Harry Potter experience I really like is King's Cross still has the platform not in three quarters spot. Uh, which I think would be a really cool place to visit. And obviously that's a great place for staging photos of trying to run through the wall yeah. or whatnot. 
Um, and I have a, I have a weird one actually. Yeah. Like, well, it's not a, it's not a weird one when you hear where it is. I want to go to Stonehenge. Yeah. For a media tourism mm-hmm. place, but this is the difficult one, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pose the question live to you right now. Pose I want to go to Stonehenge. Yes. Because I saw it in a movie. Yes. What movie and why? Braveheart. No. <laughs> and this is the thing; it's gonna really throw you. It was Shanghai Nights, and I don't know oh. why, but I will always remember. That scene with Stonehenge and how like that that formed, how that came wow, to be. Okay, I've I've not watched uh, Shanghai Nights in a long time, so I can't actually remember that spot. But which wow. uh, yeah, exactly. I don't shows... know why Braveheart wouldn't have had Stonehenge, but uh, prob- probably not. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I just just wanted to add that in there to show that uh, yeah, these things these places can have uh, me- media tourism. Mm for a very personal reason so like Stonehenge has been in heaps of movies and it wasn't an important part of that one Yeah, I just happened to being a child remember that scene I remember mm. seeing Stonehenge in Shanghai Nights which I enjoyed as well I yeah. really enjoyed that movie um, I think we were talking we need to watch that soon actually yeah we were talking about watching Shanghai Nights getting steaks yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, very manly very manly actually uh, so yeah I mean I want to go there for, for that purpose yeah. which is a bit left field but uh, well, yeah. I mean that's, that's again like for the peak bar that I went to um, for, that was personal for me for Running Man that's the beauty of media tourism it is a very personal uh, thing that you do yeah um, um, I mean there's another one it's probably not media tourism but uh, a fair few of the places where the New Japan shows are, are con- the ones that are constantly being held so like yeah. Kurokan Hall Just and the New Tokyo Japan Dome is wrestling yeah, if you sorry. don't know um, so I mean it is media tourism. Crook and Hall is a pilgrimage for me. For yeah, sure. definitely. Oh. Uh, it's yeah. These, these are places I've seen, and mm. I've seen some some great battles, and, and some of my favourite uh, athletes and performers in the world yeah. performing. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to count that one because mm. of that. But it's yeah, it's a very iffy kind of is that media tourism well, it's similar to maybe going to the MCG or Lords. Like yeah. you can count it as media because it's entertainment. Um, <laughs> and wrestling kind of falls into that grey area anyways but it's sort of that sports or sports entertainment media tourism but I would still count that as media tourism to mm. a way yeah. that's one that we share so yeah Donkatu yeah. and Kurukan Hall these are all places I would want I want to check out yeah, yeah. Donkatu that's um, down in uh, Fukuoka so that's a bit of a trek from Tokyo mm. you get to do all of Japan that's actually why I went Kurukan Hall Tokyo Dome I'm like I reckon I could get those two to the yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in the one trip yeah yeah um, I guess uh, there's a couple for you. The two main ones for me, um, I've got one which everyone will sort of know about and there'll be a lot of people who would join me on this particular media tourism and another one which is kind of niche, like you with uh, the Stonehenge for Shanghai Nights. Mm, yeah. um, the one that I would imagine I would have a lot of people jumping on board for. I just want to see. I know what one of these is going to be. I'm trying to figure out if it's your niche one or if it's the one that other people would follow you with. Yeah, okay. It's kind of difficult. I'm thinking it's going to be the niche one even though it was a pretty big movie yep uh, well, <laughs> the, the one which I think a lot of people would join me for is out in Tunisia which means I was right <laughs> <laughs> now Tunisia uh, it's a bit out of the way I look I haven't explored what's in Tunisia I'm sure it'd be a great place to visit um, and I'd enjoy my time there but if I went to Tunisia it'd be for one specific reason and that's to live out my childhood and adult fantasy of uh, being in the Star Wars universe because Tunisia is where they filmed the uh, Skywalker Homestead and Moss Eisley scenes in A New Hope. Um, now that is not kept in picture perfect sort of form like the Hobbiton sets uh, but you can still visit these places and you'll recognise the locations and whatnot. I don't, I'm not surprised it's not in perfect condition since it was 40 years ago yeah, and that that thing built was built in a desert yeah um, it's probably not the best conditions I mean I didn't say it but I don't want to check that one out too yeah I uh, that, forgot that to for me is probably the biggest tourism place where I'll go specifically for oh, yeah. like obviously I'd love to do like as you mentioned uh, Kurokan Hall in Japan but I want to go to Japan anyways. That, that is more of a personalised one. I, mm. I feel, uh, yeah, the, the Tunisia kind of comes under the same kind of carrier as Hobbiton. Yeah. Where you take a picture and it's instantly recognisable mm. why yeah. or what that was. And, and you would go to that country specifically for it. Like, yeah. Obviously, New Zealand is an incredible place to go and tour around. Like, it's a beautiful location. But there are people who choose New Zealand specifically for Hobbiton. Just like someone like me would specifically choose Tunisia for Star Wars. Um, and, and that's the other thing, like... If it wasn't Star Wars, would you ever have gone to Tunisia? Well, I haven't gone to Tunisia. Well, yeah, anyway. yeah. <laughs> you probably wouldn't have even considered it. No. And, I mean, these are 
these are the things they're bringing in uh, real resources to these places. You know, yeah. the tourism is massive uh, for a lot of the mm. places. Uh, for example, we're a tourism state. Yeah. That Ross Bakery is a very small amount of our tourism. But, but people powerful. still come and make the specific trip just mm. to check that out. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean... It, it's, it puts it's, Tasmania on the map in an international level. People in Japan who may know Australia but really only know the Sydney Opera House will come to Tasmania because yeah. of Ross I mean, Bakery. It's impressive that, yeah, this has put Tasmania on the map for all mm. of these, like, Japanese and Asian Chinese people. Yeah. Um, when Australia seemed to forget that Tasmania is on the map when it comes to making a damn map for Australia Day. Yeah, and putting it on a hat with just the mainland... Yeah. We remember Woolworths. Oh, we remember Woolworths. Yeah. We will never forget. Never. Anyway. The other place, um, the more niche location, uh, and for those of you who know me, won't be surprised by the property. It's Scott Pilgrim. Um, now, obviously, it was set in Toronto, Canada. That's where the movie is set. But uh, both the graphic novels and the movies go out of their way to show specific locations from that place. Now, obviously, I wouldn't be bumping elbows to try and get good shots for this place because... I don't think Scott Pilgrim media tourism is a big deal in Toronto, uh, but it would be one of the main reasons why I would want to go to Toronto and find Scott's house, which is a literal place. And if you read the colour graphic novels that Brian Lee O'Malley put out, he actually shows the photo of the actual place compared to uh, his comic drawing and the library and the castle that's in uh, for the second fight with Lucas Lee. And just other little areas like this that you might think, oh yeah, that's a nice building matter to me because that is the franchise that I've connected with so powerfully you really um, yeah really have connected uh, very powerfully with that yeah for and a long time. if I actually went to Toronto I would put a day aside just to go to these places maybe with the book the in hand pilgrim pilgrimage <laughs> yeah. uh, and sort of yeah I guess that would be for me uh, the kiki delivery service equivalent as far as an emotional connection would go I'm glad uh, you laughed man because it's got easy to make these up you're not getting two laughs. I'm oh, sorry. come on. Oh, come on. Come on. All right, fair enough. Ha, 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 ha. That wasn't forced at all. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, I definitely knew that the, the uh, Toronto was going to be one of mm. your pilgrimages. I'm not going to make the joke again. Uh, but uh, I, if I'm there, I'm wearing a wig. I'm, I'm Ramona Flowers in that. Like, I'm going to ruin every one of those pictures by doing something. That's not going to ruin it, is it? No, it's no, it'd actually it, make it even Yeah, better. it would. Oh, yeah. damn, I need to find something else that's going to ruin it. Because, mm. you know... Hashtag True Hill. If, if you found a Ramona Flowers equivalent and was dating her in those locations and I was third wheeling in those If photos, I was dating Brie Larson, you would probably kill me. Ramona is Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mm, Brie Larson is uh, her, his ex. Mm, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Whoops. Yes. Oh, well. Hashtag True Fan. Hashtag no one cares about the movie. Uh, hashtag wrong. Hashtag I you are no one and therefore no one cares about the movie. Hashtag, so that's the end of uh, this week's edition. Of it was Tomorrow really nice Podcast. to come back for 2017. We've just recorded all of the episodes for 2017, apparently, uh, in this one. Uh, yes. no, that's been great. So, yeah, just as a reminder, uh, the other one-up culture article is covering media tourism it covers a lot of what you've heard but you will find a little bit more information we didn't want to double up on everything um also has a couple of couple of quotes from the guest books that we saw and also that craig norris had gathered through his time so just a reminder also check out craig norris's uh piece on it Definitely. he knows what he's talking about we don't so it's well worth actually listening to an academic i have to admit i feel like i kind of knew what i was talking about a lot more after reading his article <laughs> <laughs> which is funny it means it's doing its job it does mean it's doing um, its job therefore it's not really funny it's quite accurate and good and yes. read it <laughs> so, so become learned citizens learned citizens um, but yes be sure to check us out on uh, Twitter as well at 1UpCulture to keep up to date with everything that we publish whether it's 1UpCulture 1UpCultureCast or other pieces that I write elsewhere for different groups as well as uh, there is another little project in the works probably yes. coming later this month next month uh, we'll let you know when we've got more details but mm. uh, the 1UpCulture family will be expanding a little yes we're pregnant with another little one another little one yes um, but yeah obviously Obviously, One Up Culture Cast will be continuing uh, through the sort of next few weeks and months and whatnot. We'll cover more areas. And March is going to be interesting because there's so many movies we've got to cover. Yeah, it's also going to be interesting because you're probably going to be doing some media 
pilgrimaging. Uh, yes. As you're going on another trip to Asia soon, actually. Yes, much to the envy of my co-host. Um, in a couple of weeks, yeah. I'm going to be in China. Um, ironically, uh, which I find fascinating and hilarious, uh, on February 16th is when The Great, Great Wall, Wall yeah. comes out, the movie. And I, like, I was keen to watch it before going, but it's literally coming out the day I go. Oh, right. So, for example, if I told you what day to go see that movie in cinemas, I could literally be on The Great Wall while you're watching The Great Wall. Are we going to do that thing again where, like, I'm stuck in Tasmania, like, watching where you are? Because that's... It's cool for you, but, yeah. like, not so much for me. Because I have to sit here and be like, oh, that looks like it'd be great. On the bright side, it looks like there's beasties in the movie, which, you know, will make it entertaining on a different level. Yeah, but are they I'm, I'm fantastic like, beasts? But we beasts. know where to find them. We do know where to find them. Yeah. China in the Great Wall. <laughs> right there in the title. But yeah, uh, there is actually a place in outside of Shanghai, which was the setting for Mission Impossible 3. Um, and that water town actually sets itself apart because Tom Cruise. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, that's what they've got going for them. Mm. Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah. But I've not watched Mission Impossible 3, so that location wouldn't have that much meaning for me outside of, ah, oh, there's a picture of Tom Cruise. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yes. Um, which, I mean, yeah, every every media tourism is a, is a personal journey. Everyone... Mm. It has a different meaning to each person. So if I went to somewhere like Toronto, for example, I liked Scott Pilgrim. Uh, I really did. But probably wouldn't be as into it as you. Yeah, you'd be that's watching your the thing. Toronto Raptors play. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I was almost going to say no, and then I remembered that Toronto don't suck anymore. So yeah, I would, I would totally go and watch Toronto Raptors play. Yeah. Third best team out east. Yeah, no, that's, let's not talk about teams out east right now. Boston. Uh, Charlotte. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we should uh, we should really wrap this up. Actually, yeah, yeah was, this is sounding more and more like a normal conversation. It really is less like a um, podcast. Yeah. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, hopefully, we maybe inspired you to investigate a bit of media tourism yourself, whether it's one of the iconic places like Hobbiton or whether it's your own little personal. Yeah, it was like, oh yeah, I watched that one movie and it had this really interesting place that I wanted to visit. Um, yeah, go and do it. Like it is a fun way of exploring the world uh, through entertainment. Uh, both sitting and watching these places and actually getting to experience them firsthand. Um, uh, also, as far as money is concerned, uh, you can get an amazing tourist attraction for mm. a lot of these times, no money. Yeah. So it, it is worth it when mm. you're in another country, just go, you know what, I'm going to stop off there, get a picture, not going to cost me anything, but it's actually going to mean something. It's going to mean as much as if I went to the Eiffel Tower or one of these large tourist places mm. which you usually have to pay for. Yeah. So um, it does also have that advantage, which mm. I just kind of thought of. Yeah, good times. Go traveling, people. Go traveling, see the world. Yes. Um, And while you're traveling the world, be sure to be following up on One Up Culture Cast. Because we are in every country on this planet. We are in one language. Yeah. Just the one. But occasionally we'll say something in another language. Yeah, but we don't usually know what it means. Hey. 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 <laughs> so uh, yeah, follow us up. We're going to change up the exit on this one because I have been Jareth. I'm going to get it in first. I am your host, oh, Trent. Come on. And thank you for listening to the One Up Culture cast. I'm still Jareth. And that is game over. Game over. I said it last. Game over. Yeah, he forgets that I'm the one that edits these. Game over.